0: As you guys are marking your places, I have an important announcement that I want to make that will impact all of us. Um, those of you that have been coming to this fellowship for a long time know that uh, since, you know, since we started in our living room and then on to the Palmyra School and we used at one point the middle school, uh, we have um, been a portable church and, and God has been so faithful to us, hasn't he? I mean, we've been blessed uh, in, a, in a thousand ways to use the schools the way we have, and, and God has, has been so faithful over the years. Um, but we have, you know, we have a building project going on, a building fund that we have, and our hope is to build uh, sooner rather than later on the 26 acres we have over right next to the new high school. Um, but the inevitable has come to pass. Uh, we got a call Wednesday morning from the principal of the school that uh, as they move from this high school to the other and move the middle school in here, uh, there will be about an 11-week period where we will not be able to meet in this school or, for that matter, any other. So uh, the interesting thing about this is, you know, we, uh, Tom had got the phone call, and he, I'd come into the office, and he said, Steve, you might want to sit down for this. But he had this big smile on his face. So I'm trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about. So I sat down, and he gave me the information that from May 20th until August 1st, Uh, We will not be able to use the school. This is going to be the staging area for them moving a lot of equipment and things in and out. So as he told me, he just had this big smile on his face. He he said, you know, God is just so good. And so we sent the email to all the elders. Whoa. Oh, my orange fell. Uh, There goes my illustration. Um, We'll come back to that. But we uh, we sent out the email to all the elders uh, and and we got together thursday morning to pray and what was amazing is in that room nobody was worried no we were we were smiling laughing just uh... enjoying uh... the excitement about what the lord is going to do during this time and i know that this congregation has always risen to any challenge that it has been faced with and i have no doubt that this congregation will rise to this challenge uh... things will change for a period of two months after that we're not sure are we going to be in the new school back in here We don't know yet, uh, but it is only a limited period of time. And as we were talking about it, I thought, you know, this is really such a little thing. Compared to what churches and congregations face across the world, the fact that for two months we have to be maybe a little inconvenienced, maybe something will come about that's even better than what we have now. Don't know. We're seeking the Lord on on these things, what his plan is. I don't know the plan. love to sit here and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. I don't know. I know this. We're going to pray. And there... As we talked and shared ideas, a lot of things came up, and and so um, there are a lot of possibilities. But it may be uh, inconvenient for a couple of months. But again, you know, uh, I think that uh, God uses adversity to help us, number one, to appreciate what we have, and number two, to uh, help us to grow in faith. So um, this is is what's happening. Uh, Again, the dates are May 20th to August 1st. Uh, Again, the the challenge for us as a congregation is to consider to um, uh, To think on the things that are good and praiseworthy and noble and not to let this be discouraging I'm excited and as are the elders to see How the lord meets the need because we are his sheep and this is his flock and as walter preached about it's not What are we gonna do but it's what are we gonna do god? and so uh, um I just encourage you to um, to not be discouraged, but to to really look forward to an exciting time this summer. You know, we'll see what the Lord has for us, but I know it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Very good. Uh, and we'll, we'll all, you know, these are the kind of things that when you look back on them in, in the history of a family or, or church, that you go, wow, that was, that was an amazing time. It was tough, but boy, the way the Lord used that time. And I know he's going to use this time in the life of our congregation. So um, with that said, Let's pray. We have a difficult passage in front of us this morning. Uh, We go out of the frying pan into the fire in some ways from discussing forgiveness last week and all the emotional nuances of difficult situations to divorce uh, discussing this week. So I know as I speak to this congregation that there is probably not a single one of us in here that has not had their lives touched by divorce in some way or another directly or indirectly. So I'm going to ask you, I sit before you with fear and trembling wanting to um, not water down the truth of the Word of God, yet also not wanting to water down the grace of God in sharing that truth. So, um, let's pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Uh, The next 35 minutes, or 30 minutes, excuse me, will be in Matthew 19, and then we will share communion together. Let's pray. Father, I do sit before you with fear and trembling, Lord, that that the people... Uh, that their faith, that my faith um, w- would not be in a, in a speaker or in um, sweet words or in, in well-thought-out, orated, uh, narrated words, Lord, but in the power of the Spirit. Lord, I need you uh, this morning as I need you every morning that I preach to give life to the words, to, uh, that your word would, would be, as you said it was, that two-edged sword. For some this morning, these words will be challenging and convicting. And for others, uh, there might be comfort needed. And and your word, Lord, can do both. It can be a, a salve to comfort and to heal. And it can also be a scalpel to excise out things that are harmful and shouldn't be present. Lord, I pray that you open the hearts of everyone here to hear and receive your word, to deal with it in their own hearts, to to do business with you um, in according with, with what you say is truth. And Father, may this room be filled with love, forgiveness, compassion, the very heart that belongs to you. We pray all these things in the most precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We'll get to the orange in a little bit here. Matthew chapter 19 begins now it came to pass when jesus had finished these sayings the things that we had just read in the previous chapter and his discussion on forgiveness and his discussion on humility uh, as they argued about who was the greatest or who would be the greatest in the kingdom he taught them about those things and as he finished these sayings he departed from galilee so he leaves the north region around the sea of galilee and he came to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. He's heading south toward Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. His time is growing shorter. Uh, he's not traveling alone. He's not able to be alone. Verse 2 says, great multitudes followed him. That has to wear on a guy. You know, it would wear on a guy like me. You know? But he healed them there. So his power wasn't limited to a certain location Uh, to a certain place. Uh, People are coming to Jesus continually and regularly. He has a following, and he's not just offering them false hope. He's healing them. He's healing them, just as he heals today. But there was, verse 3, those people we know as the Pharisees that came to him. Were they there to be healed? What does the Bible say? They came testing him. And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Interesting question. Um, Before we get to the nature of the question and the reason for the question, uh, we have to discuss these guys, the Pharisees. We've met them before. These were the Jewish leaders. Uh, They would have all been men, the Pharisees. Uh, Not only that, um, to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a Pharisee. Uh, These were the law keepers. At least that's what they presented themselves. These are the guys that Jesus said, hypocrites. You know, you wash the outside, but the inside is dirty. And so his continual rebuke was toward them as he preached. They were envious of him, continually trying to trap him, to make him look bad in the eyes of people that followed him. Uh, But yet, they had this uh, sense, this outward appearance that they were doing all that God wanted them to do. And yet, uh, truly, they were just finding ways around and, and shortcutting. For instance, the Sabbath, when we were in Israel, we were in the hotels, and of course there is the Sabbath elevator. And uh, now a Jew on the Sabbath is not allowed to do any work. Some of that work might be kindling a fire. You can't make a fire. You would make a fire to cook, so on and so forth. So the Jews had took this idea about the Sabbath, and they had had... They had given all their interpretation to it. So one of the things you can't do, again, is kindle a fire. But when you're in in a hotel and you push the button for the elevator, you know, it lights up around it? Well, that's a little fire in a light bulb. You have a little filament that is red hot, and that is a fire. So by pushing the elevator button, now you've kindled a fire. And since we can't do that, well, we'll just invent an elevator that stops on every floor. And that's called the Sabbath elevator. So it, on the Sabbath, so you don't have to push the button, the elevator, you get in on the first floor, and it's just it's like the local versus the express. You, know, you just go up one floor at a time, and you come back down. And so there's all these ways they, to find loopholes in God's word. And, and that's the Pharisees. That's who Jesus is speaking to. Again, they're not coming to him for truth. They're coming to him to challenge him. It says they came testing him. So to test him, they bring this question about divorce. Uh, in our day is no different than in their day. Divorce was a hot-button issue among the rabbis, among the Jews. just as today, it's still even a hot-button issue among Christians. And I talk to people regularly, and, and I know, you know, that again, as I said, that in this room, there are many that are either have, have been divorced. Are currently going through divorce may be challenged by divorce in the future had divorced parents may be grown children that have been divorced some of you were divorced before you were a Christian some of you divorced after being a Christian some of you have been through very painful marital issues and so I recognize that and that's why I want to be very truthful but very delicate as we share these things it's a hot-button difficult issue Uh, and they are trying to draw him into a heated debate Because around the issue of divorce, there were two specific camps of the rabbis. There was Rabbi Shemai and Rabbi Hillel. And these were the two most well-known rabbis that taught at the time of Jesus. Now, before we get into what it is, uh, was the issue with their teaching, let's just go, you mark Deuteronomy 24, I'll show you why the controversy existed. Of course, the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah or the law more commonly. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, says when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, uh, he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, when she departs from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and, and so on it goes. The issue I want you to see is that uh, there is this uh, law or this concession, really, that says uh, sometimes a man might take his wife, and he finds or she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some uncleanness in her. Well, the, the debate rages around, what is that uncleanness? And literally in the Hebrew, it, it means nakedness, something that is exposed. Now... Shammai was the more conservative rabbi, and he said the only thing that that could mean would be uh, that she was uh, somehow sexually immoral. There was some kind of infidelity involved, and that was what was meant by this passage in Deuteronomy. Well, the Hillel side, the Hillel rabbi followers would say, no, 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 it's any, if if she finds favor, no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness, and that could be anything. And for the rabbis, it could even be if he found a woman more attractive. It could be if she burnt his toast. She wasn't a good cook. All of those things could be, hey, some uncleanness. And this was what made the debate rage. And, and, you know, because that's, notice the question. You go back with me to Matthew 24, and I'm not going to, you know, spend a lot of time, excuse me, Matthew 19. Not going to spend a lot of time there in that Deuteronomy passage, but just as it hinges and, and feeds into this passage, They didn't object to the fact that divorce was uh, possible, was allowable. Matter of fact, there were some situations under which it was required, according to the Jews, if if the man's wife could not bear children after 10 years, uh, he was required to divorce her. Because the Jews believed that marriage was so that you could be fruitful and multiply. So again, that was a requirement. And if she was found to be unfaithful... Or if you married her and it was found later that she wasn't a virgin when you married her, that was grounds for, um, not just grounds for, but required to divorce. So there wasn't an issue with the, the reality of divorce, but here it says, is it lawful for man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So while they had a high view of marriage, they had, uh, because of some of the interpretations of, of the scriptures, it had devolved into easy divorce. For just any reason. Again, you know, if someone wants a reason, they can find one. And, and I was just reading this article this past week. Uh, how many of you know who Stephen Hawking is? It says, uh, The wheelchair-bound Hawking, who, uh, who only recently retired from a post once held by Isaac Newton, talked to the magazine in a run-up to his celebration for his 70th birthday, about his biggest scientific blunder and his hopes for modern science. He was, at the time of the article, about to turn 70, and they were interviewing him for his 70th birthday, and he was having a a big speaking engagement with other well-known Nobel Prize winners and so on. And uh, the magazine asked him uh, what he thinks about most. And the Cambridge University professor, who's renowned for unraveling some of the most complex questions in modern physics, said, women. They are a complete mystery. So the guy who, who, who studies the cosmos says to him, you know, I just can't understand women. Now, I've read this article to some women who said it's mutual. So uh, they can't understand us either. And it's true. You know, we, we sort of, marriage is a strange thing. You know, we've got two sinful people joining together for this lifelong relationship. And I think none of us uh, will disagree that this is a tough thing. And uh, I I talked to couples. I was sitting in Israel over dinner talking with a couple who's about to get married in June and just laughing about things like loading and unloading the dishwasher. You know, that's a big issue in our house. My wife is not allowed to unload the dishwasher because she doesn't do it right. You know, again, in my mind. So and your house has the same thing, right? And someone in your house is the dishwasher loader because the other person doesn't do it right. And, and there's you know, the laundry, and there's, well, you have to clean up a certain way after, while you're cooking. You clean while you cook. No, 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 you cook the meal, then you clean afterwards. And we've got all these little nuances, and I know you're laughing, so you're just like us. We're, we're all the same. We're all quirky, freaky people. And we've got two quirky, freaky people joined together in marriage. And, and, and these things that when, you know, I'll sit with a young couple in, in premarital counseling, I say, well, what's the thing that bugs you most about that person? Oh, nothing. They're perfect. (laughs) They're just so perfect. I can't fight. We never argue. Life is great. We're going to get married. I said, oh, you wait. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you wait. Because we know the reality is those things, when we were young and in in love, or whatever you want to call it at that point, those things, oh, we just overlooked those faults. They don't bother don't us because we're just so in love and we're just so happy. You know, for me, I was just happy I found someone that would love me. That was a miracle. You know, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and I was just glad that someone would love me. And uh, But over the years, see, we, we've got this thing called time. And, and over years, those little things that didn't used to bug us now start to bug us, and we start to lose our patience with one another, and we start to find difficulties in the ongoing trials of forgiveness and and working out these sometimes and mostly very minor issues uh, can oftentimes lead to a couple uh, struggling to get along and then they sin begets more sin and things begin to spiral until you're you're filing for divorce and uh, you know and again I, sometimes there's adultery involved there's pornography involved there's very there's not just all the the dishwasher and the laundry and shrunken sweaters um You guys were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. And I've got, you know, look, I don't want to, my wife has her hands full, trust me. Uh, I am tough to live with. But the point is, is that some issues are light issues, some issues are very heavy issues. And we have to work these things out with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God. And so, you know, the, the answer, the question was, is it lawful to divorce for any reason like Hillel would say, or is it more like Shammai would say? Well, Jesus answered the question and said to them, have you not read... That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Uh, We read that at weddings. Um, That is word for word what is read there, what is pledged there. Um, We do the vows at weddings, uh, you know, do you take this woman to be your wife for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health? And one young man said, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes. But Jesus says to them, have you not read? And that's kind of, you know, it's easy when we get into studying the Word of God, looking for answers from God. It's easy to get focused on one passage. And we have the whole counsel of God's word. And the best way to understand the heart of God, you know, the Bible says, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O Lord. Jesus is the word made flesh. And if you look at one passage, and this can sometimes be the challenge with topical preaching, is we look at one passage, and that gives us some truth, but maybe not all of the truth about a certain issue so they were focused on deuteronomy 24 and what that meant and how that sounded and how they would interpret that because it wasn't clear but jesus said hey you missed something and it's in genesis chapter two and he says haven't you read that that he who made them that's important because the one who made them is the one that's sovereign over his creation right the, the, if I go out into my shop and I put something together, I make something, I decide how it gets used and what it's for. I had it in my mind and then I make it happen on the workbench and it's got a purpose. It's got a specific usage. And the best, the most successful marriages in my mind and I think in, in statistically this would be borne out, are when the husband and the wife Are doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden there was Adam in the garden He was he was alone given a job to do and tend, you know to do the things he was going to do in the garden And and God says not good that man should be alone And he gives him a helper and together they would serve in the garden of God And I still think that is the best model when a husband and a wife together are serving the Lord together I think it's the most and I think that's the original model that these and that's what Jesus says that He made them at the beginning, again to serve God. Your marriage, if you're uh, if you're struggling as a single person, marriage ain't going to fix it. I mean, we know that. And then if you're struggling as a married couple, kids aren't going to fix it, because not well. I'm I'm doing you know I'm lonely. I'm terrible as a single, so I'll get married. That'll help. No, it won't. You you know you've got to deal with Christ. You've got to be Christ like. I'm, I'm a lucky man in that when my wife and I met, you know, it's a miracle that my wife married me because I was not a pleasant, nice, redeemed man at that time. And she married me and, and I married her, and together for 18, almost 18 years now, we've been walking with the Lord consistently. And I'm not the man she married, and she is not the woman I married, and we continue to grow each other, uh, each closer to the Lord as individuals. And that has to be present no matter what kind of marriage you're in. That you individually are committed to growing closer to the Lord. And if each in the couple are committed to that, then that makes for not just a marriage that I have to endure. That's not God's plan for you just to endure, to suffer, because he said we've got to stick together, so we've got to endure it. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to enjoy, not to endure. I mean, his plan is for you to endure, but to endure with joy, I think. So um, he made them male and female. Again, not male and male, not female and female. I didn't write it, but that's what it says. No law or court can undo what God has said. It is what it is. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's the key, and I'm going to move through this. Verse 6, so then they are no longer two but one flesh. That's the key. Jesus said, look, marriage, you know... And divorce were not something that were part of design in the garden. When God designed it, he designed for two. It's like a, like a chemical reaction where these two things that were once individual are put together. And there's a chemical reaction so that one new thing is created from the two. And the two cease, cease to exist. They become one. And that's why I brought my little orange here. I racked my brain this morning. What can I use to illustrate this? You know, I like can get two pieces of wood and I can glue them together. But it doesn't, I don't think it does the job. I can get two pieces of steel and weld them together. And that's a little bit better because the little fibers of iron and little molecules of iron are then joined together and you can't ever find out where, if it's welded well, you can't find out where the original break was. But I opened up, I was having breakfast and I, I cut open my orange and I realized, this, really an orange has got this outside part, this, this skin, and then it's got the inside, the juicy, meaty part inside. And it's... When you try to peel it, it just doesn't peel easy, does it? Because the two are really one. And that's the kind of would you say I have one orange here? It's one, it's one unit. It's not two. It's one. But yet there are two distinct parts to it. Notice also the equality in that when two become one, there's not well, you know, there's not two halves and one half is better than the other half. Two become one. There's a, and so it's not. I sat with a, a couple a while back, and, and she had come in and said, my husband has a problem with drinking. It's his problem. I said, no, it's your problem together. It's not his problem. It's our problem because two become one. And, and so often that's the issue in marriage counseling. People will sit on the couch together and, and point the finger. He does this and she does this, and they forget they're on the same team. Somehow Satan has worked to point them against each other when they're supposed to be on the same team working to the same end as as a team as a unit as one and and all of that is god's original plan for marriage and that's the issue jesus doesn't argue from how do you interpret that he argues and says really divorce is an impossibility it's a chemical marriage is a chemical reaction you can't undo it i can't i can't undo this orange and make it two because god made it one I can try to separate the parts, but it's never going to be clean and it's never going to be easy. And the ugliest place I've I've been is down in uh, domestic court. It's a tough place to be. Uh, Two people that had said, uh, we love each other, then to be so hateful toward one another. Uh, And Christians, and Christians. But look at what their response is. They said to him, then why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? I mean, hey, Jesus, are you... Are you then saying Moses was wrong? You see, they're trying to draw him into this debate. And this is where we kind of get the answer that explains a little bit of what I've been saying here. Moses, uh, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted. They said, why did Moses command? Jesus says, wait a second, who said command? This was a concession because chapter 3 of Genesis, what enters the world? Sin enters the world. And whenever we're, if you're struggling in your marriage, if there's issues, don't blame God. It's not his fault. Sin is the issue. Satan is the issue. Satan wants to divide marriages. He wants people to act in ungodly, sinful ways. Um, and, and Jesus says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. And we know that, that those things that we used to be able to forgive when love used to cover a multitude of sins, that now my heart, it can begin to harden. The Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And we stop treasuring our mate, our spouse, and our heart can get hardened toward them, and, and then their heart toward us. And so, because these issues arise, and because it can be so volatile, God said, I'm going to permit this, so that the woman, again, Deuteronomy 24, so that the woman could then be free to remarry. If she was given a certificate of divorce, rather than living in this uh, uh, with the husband, uh, ignoring her or being hard on her, God says, give her a certificate of divorce and, and let her go so that she can be remarried. But think carefully about that because once you let her go, you can't have her back. Because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now again, verse 9, I want to remind you that Jesus is speaking to a group of men. That's why the issue of women divorcing is not uh, mentioned here. For the Jewish woman, you couldn't divorce your husband. It wasn't uh, part of their law. You didn't have that right. Now for a Gentile, you could. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, we're not going to go there, but just trust me on this one. It does uh, look at it from the opposite standpoint as well. Not just if a a husband divorces his wife, but also if a wife divorces divorces her husband. It's looked at from both sides there. So it applies to women and men alike in this. Verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Now again, he's speaking to a group of men who have taken a very low view of marriage. And you have to know that they would say, hey, we're still keeping the law, although I divorced my wife because I found one that was better looking. Uh, I, I, do, I gave her the certificate of divorce, I'm still keeping the law. And that's how they would find that loophole. And, so, uh, and they would hold to this idea that they were somehow righteous, although they were doing these very unrighteous things. And so Jesus is, is, is really uh, addressing that issue in their culture of easy divorce, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And then, once that is done, because the marriage has not been dissolved for the proper reason. And this is just a concession. This sexual immorality is, is again, uh, an exception. And it happens. And I know, you know, it's a concession, but it's not a commandment. And I want to be very clear on this, because I know. That there are a number of folks in here that have dealt with infidelity in a marriage. Um, I read the book, uh, Same Kind of Different as Me, which has been a wonderful thing uh, that I read because in that describes a woman whose husband had uh, cheated on her and how she forgave him and how their marriage actually became stronger after that. And I know there are some in here that are working through, uh, is it, it, do you have a right to divorce if there's sexual immorality absolutely you have the right to but you also have the right to forgive and and if there's you know if there's confession if there's repentance and and to move through forgiveness and how these things impact you don't have to now sometimes it doesn't work that way sometimes divorce is what comes about from that and i think as i as i share these words i want to also say this look the church for a long time has looked at sin, uh, at, at divorce as the unpardonable sin. And I just read an article last night as I was preparing about a young man that had grown up in church. His dad was serving in ministry there. His parents got divorced, and the church began to tell them how much they were going to hell because they had got divorced. And, and many people have been um, treated that way in the church. And I just want to, as I say and as we read these things, on one hand, I want to make sure that those that are unmarried or those that are struggling right now in a marriage, that, that to stick with it, to work it out, to get help if you need help, to get counseling if you need counseling. We can't address all the issues here this morning. But um, to, to not take the easy way out. If at all possible, it is a last, last resort. It is not God's best. It is best for the two of you to figure out where you are going wrong with christ and to come before him humbly and acknowledge your own sins before god and to seek to be healed yourself when two people do that so i want to encourage you i know people that through this verse this verse has saved marriages i spoke with a friend of mine just recently who was in the midst of contemplating divorce and and because of this verse they have stayed together and have been together lovingly for a number of years now so I want to speak to those that are the youth in here that are not married yet. Uh, you know, this is God's design. It is, is you are going to join yourself for life to this person you are going to say I do to. Make sure you go into this thing understanding that there's no such thing, although our culture has accepted easy divorce in some ways. Um, that's not God's intention, not God's design. So please just be careful with it. Um, recognize the gravity of it. But yet, for those of you that can't change the past, I want you to know that 1 John 1 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from almost all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Because the danger of preaching grace is that, well, I'll just get divorced and ask God for forgiveness. I'll just, I'll do it. Uh, I want out of this I'll ask God for forgiveness and he forgive. and that's true But then I have to ask you, you know, do you really understand the grace of God? Are you really interested in doing the will of God in your marriage or in any other difficult circumstance in your life? Loving your enemy if you said my husband's my enemy. Well, the Bible says love your enemies Do good to those that use you pray for those who persecute you so, you know, I can't give you an easy way out I don't have that. I'm not God. You have to discuss this with him. But yet I know that there are difficult situations and circumstances that are very hard. And I know I've met with many of you. And so I want to remind you that in this fellowship, the attitude that we take is, look, number one, even if you, you, you got divorced and it wasn't for the right reasons or maybe looking back on it, you say, you know, maybe I, I could have stuck it out a little bit longer. Um, you confess that as sin. We all do it. We, we all have sin that we have to confess as sin. So you confess it as sin. You know what? I was wrong when I did that. Maybe even you confess it to your, to your uh, ex. You know, I was wrong. And then he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we stand before God. And we're going to share communion today, aren't we? And isn't that what communion is about? That, that you know, Jesus speaks with the woman caught in adultery. And they are ready to stone her to death. She was busted in sexual immorality. And the law called for her to be stoned to death. And they were picking up stones, ready to hurl them at her. And Jesus says, okay, you know, he writes in the sand, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And that's the kind of fellowship we have to have. So on one hand, we don't downplay the, the seriousness of the union of marriage, the way God intended it. But on the other hand, we don't condemn when Christ doesn't condemn. Amen? Amen. So we really need to start um, sharing communion. So here's what we're going to do. If the folks that are are going to hand out communion would um, just proceed to the back, but I don't want to lose you guys yet, so hang with me, because we need to get down to verse 12, but I'm just going to briefly touch on this. The, The response of the disciples is amazing. Look at verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I mean, if, if that's how serious marriage is, maybe we should, I mean, if there's no easy out clause, if I can't just get out of it anytime I want, maybe we shouldn't marry. And I would say when I meet with couples again, when I, my, my weddings that I do now, the first thing I say is, you know, it is not an obligation for you to get married. You are, you will not die if you're not married. If you don't eat, if you don't drink water, if you don't breathe, you will die. But if you're single, you don't die. And Jesus, by the way, was single. So you are not incomplete if you're single. You are not somehow a less than citizen or weird or odd if you are single. And if you choose to say, you know, if you can't get along with people, if you aren't patient, if you've got a short temper, if you are very particular about the way things are done, if you're unforgiving, if, if, then don't get married because you're going to have to be all those things and more in a marriage. If you like everything done your way, if it's all got to be just, you know, forget it. It's not going to happen. You got to be really patient. Somebody say amen. You got to be really forgiving. Amen. <laughs> you got to be filled with unconditional love. Amen. You have to die to yourself. Amen, amen. <laughs> so if you can't die to yourself, then stay single. But uh, verse 11 but he said to them about this being single thing, all cannot accept this saying, only those to whom it had been given. Uh, for there are eunuchs, or you know, emasculated men, who were born thus from their mother's womb. Some people born with uh, certain deformities or, or genetic issues that cause them to uh, not be able to engage in, um, in sexuality or, or may keep them from being married. Um, And there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. This was a common practice. Uh, If you had a harem, you were a king, you wanted someone to watch over your harem, the guys that were watching over it, you wanted to make sure they couldn't uh, have kids to raise up to become, with with your queen, to uh, take over the throne. So you just kind of took care of business. You had a little snip-snip, and off things went. So that's all I'm going to say about that. So uh, we're talking about testicles in church. How about that? Um, (laughs) What do you know? It's in the Bible. There are eunuchs by men. And here's the, this is what Jesus is getting to. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. There is a wonderful uh, opportunity that God gives to anybody that is able to accept it. And that is to serve God undistracted. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, if you marry, you have two things to care about. You have God. And you have your husband or your wife. And God's willing to share you with that one person. He says, I'm with one person in the world. I'm willing to share you with your, your family, with your wife uh, and kids, of course, as well. But we, there's, I have to consider, you know, well, I can't just do what I want anymore. You know, being single, you just kind of do what you want. You go where you want to go, when you want to go. You got nobody to report to, nobody to, to talk about. It's my money. I'll do with it what I want. But when you're married, you kind of got to, what are, you, what are you doing Tuesday? What am I doing Tuesday? Can I go here? Can you go there? And we talk about things. When you're single, you know, i teach Bible study every night if I was single. But my wife needs me, and I need her. And we, we, we have a relationship. And so I can't go and do all the things that I might want to do. She can't go and do all the things that she might want to do. And, and we have this relationship where I have to render unto her the affection that is due her. And she rendered to me the affection due me. But when you're single, if you choose to make yourself a eunuch, not literally, but figuratively, for the kingdom of God's sake, that means you get to serve the Lord undistracted completely. Sasha, who we support in Ukraine, she is a single woman, serves the Lord with her whole life. Nothing else to do but serve the Lord. It's a wonderful way to be. And so these are important things to consider, aren't they, folks? So we need to get on with the communion. Um, So let's do this. Phil is going to come up. Uh, we do have, we have a good amount of time here to share communion. A lot of heavy stuff been talked about. And as I share these things, uh, maybe I've stepped on someone's toes. Maybe you've misunderstood something I've said. Maybe you've misunderstood my heart about these things. Or maybe you've misunderstood the Word of God about these things. So I want to challenge you, uh, number one, um, to allow the Spirit to convict you when appropriate. Number two, That if you think that I have, uh, or if I have offended you somehow, then please call me. Please talk to me. Let's talk about it together so we make sure that you haven't misunderstood something I said. Um, The communion elements are coming around. Uh, We're going to hold on to them. And we're just going to have a time where you guys get to minister to one another. I know it's a little bit hard with uh, holding the, the cup and, and the um, matzah or the, the bread. Um, but be creative with the use of your hands. Give to your, someone next to you. Hey, hold these for me. I'm going to read a scripture. Um, if you have any questions whatsoever, please don't sit in silence and stew or suffer. There are people in this body that will share with you, pray with you, uh, cry with you. support you, and forgive you, and extend grace to you. So you know, you know where to contact me. Uh, I can get you in touch with an elder, uh, possibly, or myself, and we can work through these things. We are called to be different than the world, aren't we? Our marriages are a picture of Christ in the church. Husbands not to divorce their wives, just because Christ, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sin botches it all up, doesn't it? My sin, your sin. So let's do this. I'm going to step down from here. Uh, Phil is going to just kind of help us to get our hearts prepared with a song. And when he is finished... Look, you are among family and among friends. Um, We're going to have an opportunity to pray with one another. If you need prayer, if something has really hit you, then just come and sit right down here in the front. Just walk up and sit right here, and and we can pray, or you can pray, and someone will come alongside of you and pray with you. Um, If you have a verse that's on your heart from the Word of God, you feel like it might comfort, then just stand up, and in your loudest voice, I will have a microphone to come around as well. Uh, Say that verse. If you have a brief testimony, and I say brief, then about how God has rescued or saved or or helped in in a way when you thought there was no help, then you may share that.